Please open with me in God's Word to Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Genesis 22, this morning we come to what is probably the most famous story in Abraham's life. When Abraham is called by God to sacrifice his own son. And this story has indeed caught the thoughts and imaginations of so many through the years and the centuries. For example, if we look back in the 19th century to a Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, we see him wrestling over God calling this man Abraham in sacrificing his son. And so Kierkegaard calls this illogical and irrational. This is what he writes in his work, Fear and Trembling. It is now my intention to draw out from the story of Abraham the dialectical consequences inherent in it in order to see what a tremendous paradox faith is, a paradox which is capable of transforming a murder into a holy act well-pleasing to God, a paradox which gives Isaac back to Abraham, which no thought can master because faith begins precisely there where thinking leaves off. And so what Kierkegaard says about faith is that faith in God is a blind leap in a dark. Faith is apart from or even opposed to reason and rationality. But it is some, simply something we commit ourselves to apart from any reason or evidence or purpose. And this is what many people today believe about faith, isn't it? That faith is simply what I commit myself to, what I believe in. This leaves us with the question, what does it mean to have faith in God? And more importantly, how do we know what is true faith from what is counterfeit faith? What is genuine faith? from what is a false faith, from a faith that does not save to a faith that does save. Well, let us take a closer look then at the first half of this climactic challenge in Abraham's life for our answer. We see this here in Genesis 22, verses 1 to 8. Let us then read this together. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and, Isaiah, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife 
And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. Before we continue, brothers and sisters, let us pray. Father, we come to a passage of Scripture that so often can be confusing, that can bring many questions into our minds. And so even as it may be a familiar story, we wrestle. But Father, this morning we pray as we hear Your Word that we will no longer wrestle but we will see the precious truths that you reveal to us through Abraham's life as your word is preached. And that we will then learn from your word what it means to have true faith in you. That we will not go around in this world thinking that we're Christians when we're not. Or that we won't go around this world pretending to be Christians when we're not. And that none here will go around in this world without Christ. But that this morning, we will come to recognize a genuine faith in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is what saves us that we will find through Abraham as our father in the faith what it means to have genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we will be saved. May Christ be glorified and magnified as your word is proclaimed. Father, pray that your word will come to us then with power, that your Holy Spirit will be at work in us to not only see the beauty of Jesus Christ, but to trust in what He has done for us in our place so that You will be glorified and His name will be magnified in our lives. And we ask all these things that in the name of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what do we find here then in this passage of Scripture? What do we learn here? It's that God tests our faith to prove it's genuine. God tests our faith to prove it is genuine. And we see this first in verses 1 and 2, where a genuine faith hears God's word. Then this continues second in verses 3 to 5, where a genuine faith obeys God's commands. And third, we go in verses 6 to 8, where we see a genuine faith trusts God's promises. 
So a genuine faith hears God's word, a genuine faith obeys God's commands, and a genuine faith trusts God's promises. Let's begin then with a genuine faith that hears God's word. And of course, here we see that because all of humanity is living in rebellion against God as sinners, that God calls this man, Abraham, out from the nations in order to bless the nations with salvation from God's judgment. So God enters into a covenant with Abraham. He makes Abraham in this covenant two promises. First, of descendants who will become a special nation. And second, a promised land for them to inherit as their own. And so Abraham lives by faith in God's covenant promises. And he trusts that God will keep his word and fulfill his covenants. Which is why after 25 long years, when he and his wife Sarah are both past the age of having any children, that God miraculously gives them a son, Isaac. And it's through Isaac that God will fulfill his promises. But as we come here to chapter 22, several more years have passed. and We arrive at the greatest challenge in Abraham's lifetime, a test from God himself. Now, when you think of a test, if you're a child in school, you may think of a test that is given to show what you really know. But we also can speak about tests in life, where a test will show who you really are. And it then usually comes through challenges and hardships. Why? Because we're good pretenders. We pretend to be something when we are not. And we can even fool ourselves into believing something about ourselves that isn't true. Which is why a test exposes what is genuine in our lives from what is fake or artificial. Which is why for Abraham, this test will expose whether his faith is genuine and true or whether his faith is false when it's convenient. What happens when things get hard? What happens when God asks you to give up what is most precious in your life? This is the test that God gives to Abraham. But don't forget that while we are told this is a test from God, Abraham does not know this is a test. He simply hears God speaking to him in the night. The request as we read there in verse 2, then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, how could God ask this of Abraham? After all, God is the God of life. He forbids murder in his holy law. He has given humanity the gift of family to multiply his own image bearers in the world. How does this make sense? While we don't have a complete answer, 
when we ask this question, we forget who God is and we forget who we are. Because while we are God's image bearers, God is the image giver. And God is sovereign over the beginning and the ending of our lives. You see, since we are all sinners, we rightly deserve God's judgment of death, including Isaac. And every day that God gives us life is a gracious gift we don't deserve. So we shouldn't ask ourselves, why would God ask Abraham to end Isaac's life? But why does God continue to give any of us life? in our sin. See, God delays His wrath out of His love for us. And He is patient with us because He wants for us to repent and come to Him in faith. Do you see then how this is the one true and living God who has the right to claim the life of anyone at any time. And here he is asking Abraham to end the life of a fellow sinful image bearer. But he's not simply asking Abraham to take the life of some other man, right? But this is the life of his son. His only son, Isaac whom Abraham loves as a father. Now, of course, Abraham does have another son, right? Ishmael. But at God's direction, Ishmael has been cast out from the house and is no longer considered a son. So here we have the only son in Abraham's home, in his family, Isaac. And Abraham is told, Take the, take the life of your only son, the son whom you love. Any of us who are parents would have our hearts break at such a request. My son? My son? You want me to give up my son? Or any of you who are children. What would you think if God asked your father to end your life? Because Abraham here is called by God to offer up his only son as a burnt offering. Now, burnt offering is when a sacrifice would become completely consumed by fire. So that sin would be atoned for and forgiven. But listen, Isaac was more than Abraham's only son. He was also Abraham's promised son. It wasn't simply that this is the only son in Abraham and Sarah's household. But Abraham was promised that this son is the one that God would fulfill then his covenant with Abraham. 
So we read back in Genesis 17, verse 19, then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So God's request here seems to go back on his previous promise, doesn't it? We'd see Abraham saying, God, you want me to take this son, Isaac, whom you promised to establish your everlasting covenant and offer him as a sacrifice? So what we see here then is a call similar to the original call that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. Back when God first spoke to Abraham and he called Abraham there to go, go away from your country and your people and your family. Give up your past as you trust in me, God says. And what then do we see here in chapter 22? Now God returns and speaks to Abraham again, calling Abraham again to go. Go and give up your future as you trust in God. You've given up your past. Now I want you to give up your future. Giving up your only son as you trust in me. You see how true faith involves our entire lives, past, present, and future. They're all left in the hands of God's sovereign care for us. So Abraham has to choose here between God and God's good gift. A genuine faith wants God above all, above even the blessings that God gives to us. But how often today do we see people believing in God in order to use God to get to the blessings that God offers? That is not a genuine faith. Because a true faith wants God above all. And that's exactly what Abraham is confronted with here. Listen then to Sidney Gradanus. I appreciate how he summarizes what is taking place. He writes, Isaac was the embodiment of all God's promises. Isaac was the focal point of all of Abraham's hopes. And now God asked Abraham to offer Isaac on an altar as a burnt offering. God asked Abraham to turn laughter into smoke. God asked Abraham to burn his bridges in front of him as he had burned his bridges behind him and to walk with God alone to rely solely on God. So we are left asking ourselves here at the end of verse 2, what will Abraham do? Will Abraham obey God and slaughter his son? In light of all that God has done, is he really going to turn back on his promise? Is Abraham really required to give up his son as a sacrifice? Well, you may be thinking to yourself, I am so glad God has not asked me to make that choice. What would I do in Abraham's shoes? 
But is that really true? Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, verses 25 to 33, because here Jesus himself speaks of what it means to follow him. And it sounds very much like what Abraham is called to do. Luke 14, again, verses 25 to 33. We read, now great multitudes went with Jesus, and he returned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the fountain a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet with him who comes out against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Including your own family. Including your own children. Including your parents. We are to give up all and hate them in comparison to the love we have for God. This is a genuine faith that hears God's word. But a genuine faith not only hears God's word, a genuine faith obeys God's commands. Which is why we don't have to wait long to see what Abraham does here when commanded by God to make this sacrifice. But he rises up early in the morning and prepares for the journey to make the burnt offering. Now, do you know how in movies that they may use different speeds as the action takes place? Sometimes they'll go into slow motion so that you can look at everything that is going on as those are enter, about to enter into battle, you see more closely what's about to take place. Well, in a similar way here, the writer of Genesis, Moses here, is slowing down what is taking place here in verse 3 to go into the details and, and show us step by step what is taking place for us to consider all that is happening. So he saddles his donkey then he takes two young servants along with Isaac. Then he splits the wood that is needed for the burnt offering. And then he arises and goes to Mount Moriah. But notice why he does all of this. He does all of this because this is the place where God has told him. Abraham will obey God and his command to offer his son which is why he then will travel with the very wood that is required to use in the sacrifice. 
Brothers and sisters, this isn't a short journey. Did you hear how long it will take? Three days. Three long days for him, his son, and his servants on a donkey while carrying the wood for a burnt offering. Imagine what would be going through Abraham's mind during these three days. The questions, the struggles, the doubts. Hour after hour, day after day, heading towards the place where God has said, your son will be sacrificed. John Calvin writes about this time. God does not require him to put his son immediately to death, but compels him to revolve this execution in his mind during three whole days that in preparing himself to sacrifice his son, he may still more severely torture all his own senses. This tended also to make him persevere so that he should not obey God by a merely sudden impulse. For as he does not turn back in his journey, nor revolve conflicting counsels, it hence appears that his love to God was confirmed by such constancy that it could not be affected by any change of circumstances. So they walk, and they go for three days until they come to the base or the foot of the mountain. And as they arrive find Abraham leaving his servants and donkey behind to go and worship God on the mountain with his son. It's interesting, though. Think about it for a moment. He brings these two young men to walk with him for three days, and then he leaves them behind? What was the purpose in their coming? We don't fully know, but we do recognize this, that what Abraham was called to do, he had to do alone. He would have no help. He would have no support. This is something he would have to carry out by himself. And so as he leaves these servants behind, we're given a glimpse in Abraham's mind when he says, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Do you hear that? Not I will come back to you. We will come back to you. The we here is explicit in the Hebrew. And it reveals an expectation that Isaac will somehow return with Abraham in offering God this sacrifice and worship. So even here, we're given a glimpse at Abraham's faith in this time. But do you see how God calls his people to obey his commands? God reveals his word for us to believe and then obey. And this begins with our father in the faith, Abraham, when he is commanded to offer his son. And it's because of Abraham's faith in God that he obeys. And we read more about this in James chapter 2. So let's go to James chapter 2, verses 14 to 24. Because here James writes at length about Abraham's faith as an example to us as Christians. 
So James 2, verses 14 to 24. Where James writes, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. So a genuine faith loves God and loves your neighbor. A genuine faith submits to God as your Lord. A genuine faith works according to God's word. And we obey God because we are saved by God's grace. Now, unfortunately, many today misunderstand James here by saying that these good works must be done for our salvation, that our salvation isn't complete until we have done these works in obedience. But this is not what James is saying at all. He is writing about two kinds of faith. A false faith that says all the right things, but doesn't actually do what God's people are called to do. And a true faith that not only proclaims the truths of God, but also lives out these truths in obedience in our actions. You see, a true faith is more than merely knowing and agreeing with true doctrines and the gospel. Even the demons in hell have this kind of faith. And what good is it to them? A true faith follows God and obeys him. So our obedience does not justify us before God, but it does justify us before our fellow man as our works demonstrate that we have a genuine faith in God. Do you see then how Abraham has believed in God for years at this point in his life? But now his faith is put to the test. And by him keeping and obeying what God has commanded, we see that Abraham has a genuine faith in God. A faith that submits to God and is willing to give up everything to God. So a genuine faith 
not only hears God's word, but a genuine faith obeys God's commands. But even then we haven't come to the end of a genuine faith because there's one more truth we need to see about this faith. See, in verses 6 to 8, we come to the third and final aspect of a genuine faith, that a genuine faith trusts God's promises. Back in Genesis 22, we find now that Abraham and his son Isaac are going up the mountain to worship God, that as they're preparing, he takes this wood for the offering and places it on Isaac's back to carry. Now, this tells us how many years have passed since Isaac was weaned as a boy there in chapter 21. Since he is now old enough to carry all this wood up his, on his back up the mountain, as a teenager. So Abraham has now spent years together with his son. He has seen his son grow and mature. He has surely taught his son the things of God and his faith in God. And as he looks at this young man walking with him, he recognizes the faith it requires to follow God. But while he puts the wood in on, the, on the back of his son, notice what he carries in his own hand. He takes a torch in his hand for fire and a knife for the sacrifice in the other hand, holding the very objects that he must use against his son in his hands. And while they're going up the mountain, Isaac looks and sees that something is missing. Here they have everything else. They have the wood, they have the fire, they have the knife. But where's the lamb? Did they forget the animal? So Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And in verse 8, we have a great declaration of faith. When Abraham says to his son, God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb. You see, faith relies upon God to keep his word and fulfill his promises. And if God will not provide an animal, and it means offering Abraham's promised son in death, then Abraham knew that God's promise means that Isaac would be raised from the dead. Because God's word will never contradict itself. Which is why Abraham has every assurance to believe that his son's future is secure. God will, one way or another, provide for himself the Lamb. And this is confirmed for us. Let's turn to one final passage of Scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, verses 17 and 19. Where among all of the great examples of faith throughout the Old Testament, here we come to Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice his son in faith. So Hebrews 11, verses 17 and 19. By faith... Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Do you see then how Abraham's hope in the resurrection fuels his obedience? Abraham knew by his faith in God that death was not the end. And so it is our confidence in the future that gives us strength to follow God in the presence, in the present. And God gives eternal life to all who trust in his promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus Christ God himself in the flesh who lives the life of righteousness we refuse to live in our place. Who then takes the very curse of death as he hangs on the cross for us. Taking, receiving the fullness of God's wrath in judgment for us. as he dies on the tree. When three days later, God accepts his sacrifice. And Jesus is raised from the dead with resurrection life so that we too will have resurrection life in him. So before I continue on, listen to me. Is this your hope? Is this your hope? Because without this confidence that in the future there is life from the dead. Your life has no future. But you are waiting for the very punishment of God you deserve in your sin. So I plead with you this morning. To turn away from your sins in repentance. And turn to God by faith in Christ. Trust in Christ and what he has done for you. As a sinner. By hanging on the tree in your place. Under the judgment of God. And find in Christ. Eternal life. That no death could ever stop. This is our hope that Christ's resurrection life becomes ours when we believe in his sacrifice for us. And we too look forward to the day when we will be raised with resurrection bodies, when Christ returns so that we will live in God's presence forever. See, Christianity is a future focused faith which trusts in God's promises no matter how long we have to wait. And this includes our resurrection from the dead to live with God eternally. Which is why Abraham could indeed obey God because he had faith that there is everlasting life by believing in God and trusting in his promise of salvation. 
So it is this genuine faith, confident in God's promise of resurrection life that gives Abraham the strength to offer his son as a sacrifice. Do you see then how a genuine faith hears God's word, a genuine faith obeys God's commands, and a genuine faith trusts God's promises? All three are present in the life of someone who has true faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is why God tests our faith to prove it is genuine. God tests our faith to prove it's genuine. Listen, following Christ may cost you everything. It may cost your friends. It may cost your family. But what you gain from Christ is infinitely better than anything that you sacrifice in this world. And when we believe in Christ, yes, we have to make many sacrifices in this life. But these tests are opportunities for us to prove that our faith is genuine. So we don't need to follow the teachings of the existentialist philosopher Kierkegaard in order to understand what genuine faith in Christ is. But a genuine faith hears God's word, obeys God's command, and trusts God's promises. This is what Abraham shows us in his willingness to sacrifice his own son. What genuine faith in Christ is. May we then all have this kind of faith that is willing to sacrifice all as we look to Christ and rely on him for our salvation. Let us pray. Father, these may be hard words for us to hear, but we pray that these challenging words will not leave us in despair or depressed, but they will give us the confrontation we need in our lives to recognize what genuine faith is. So that we will not fool ourselves with a false faith. We will not go on living with a counterfeit faith that does not save. We will cast everything in our lives at the foot of the cross. Because at, at the foot of the cross, there is forgiveness. At the foot of the cross, there is life. At the foot of the cross, there is a future that cannot be taken away. So Lord, we know this isn't a perfect faith. 
We know this isn't a faith that never struggles. Abraham struggled often and compromised his faith repeatedly. But we also see in Abraham's faith a genuine faith that is willing to sacrifice all for the joy of knowing You and living in Your presence. May we then share in this faith, Father, a faith that You give out of Your love for Your people. May no one here leave this place this morning without the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Because each and every one of us has a genuine faith that hears Your Word, a genuine faith that obeys Your commands, and a genuine faith that trusts in Your promises. So Father, we pray all these things in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.